0: believe that church we're going to sing that forever that Christ is our hope and life and death for all eternity we will praise our crucified and risen Savior and this morning I want to ask you do you know him do you know him at North Roanoke if you're new uh, I want you to know that we, we just work our way through books of the Bible. God wrote a book. It's got 66 subdivisions. And each of those books has a, a sub-theme that contributes to this great theme of our great Redeemer. This one who was promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. The very first story in the Bible concludes with a promise that God's Son is going to come and He's going he's to fix what we messed up. If we'll trust Him. And the question that I have for us this morning is, is do you know Him? Have you trusted Him? Do you really know Him? Have you really trusted Him? In Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25, we're going to encounter a character named Simon. As the gospel of salvation in Jesus' name goes to the people of Samaria. Samaria. Would you hear with me the word of God, beginning in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. Of the Samaritans, would you pray with me? King Jesus, rule and reign in this place today. Spirit of God, meet us in the preaching of Your word, and Lord, this uh, this text presents for us some heavy realities. And God, I, I pray that You would bind the evil one in this hour. God, that you would allow the men and women gathered in this room to lean into this text purposefully, intentionally, God, to be edified, to be built up, to be sanctified, and God, for some, maybe in the hearing of the gospel today, to be saved, to be delivered from false faith into saving faith in Jesus Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to show you two things in this text today. The first thing I want you to see is, it's pretty simple, but really important. Here it is. Those who have saving faith in Jesus are satisfied by Jesus. They, they don't need gimmicks. They don't need tricks. They don't need games. They don't need manipulation. They just need Jesus. In verse 9, we are presented with a, a contrast from what has gone before. Philip proclaims the gospel in the, the text that we've just read last week, and, and God is working through him to subdue the forces of darkness. Uh, demons are being cast out, people are being delivered from strongholds and oppression, but there's this man named Simon, a, a magician, who is a trafficker in the forces of darkness. In direct contradiction to God's Word, including the Pentateuch, the first five books that were written by Moses, the books of the law, these books that even the Samaritans supposedly followed, magic is thoroughly condemned. And yet the Samaritans are being captivated by it. They're being amazed by it. In Luke, magic is presented as what Garrett calls satanic power actualized. You say, what's, what's the big deal about magic? What's, what's wrong with magic? Magic makes life about us rather than about God. It wants to manipulate and subdue supernatural powers to bend their will to me rather than to bend my will to the power that is over all powers, which is God's power. makes life about me, my wants, my desires, my pleasures, my entertainment. Magic is idolatrous to the core, often leading to the idolatry of self. What does Simon say in verse 9? He says that he was somebody great. Until until Philip comes and proclaims the gospel in Samaria, they all paid attention to who? Simon, from the least to the greatest, the, the high class and the low class, the social elites, the government bureaucrats and the People who got their hands dirty Monday through Friday, they they all paid attention to Simon. And they said, this man is the power of God that is called great. They didn't call him God, but they called him the, the highest representation of God's power on earth. But man, they were surely mistaken. Because there is a king who has come whose power is greater and higher than all other powers on earth. Until they heard of Jesus, these Samaritans were deluded. They were thinking Satan's power in Simon to be the best of God's power on earth. They couldn't have been further away from the truth. But in verse 12, when they hear Philip preach the gospel, what does it say? It says they believed him. In other words, they believed his message. Though they had been amazed by Simon in verse 11 for a long time, it took One gospel sermon from Philip to change everything. They hear the gospel, they believe, they stop seeking to be amazed by self-serving uses of the supernatural, and instead they settle down in a steady delight that flows from God's amazing grace, from the one who alone can supernaturally transform the human heart and unite us with Jesus in an unbreakable saving relationship. Church, saving faith ends our fascination with self-serving and sensational manifestations of power. And it brings to us a selfless adoration of the person of Jesus Christ made known in the message of the gospel. In a moment, these Samaritans who were deluded by magic, are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son, Colossians 1.13. Notice that Philip is preaching the exact same message that the apostles had preached. Salvation in whose name? In Jesus' name. Verse 12, he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. To preach Jesus' we have to proclaim the existence of God's kingdom and the truth that only Jesus has the authority to put us in that kingdom. There's no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. It's Jesus or bust. It's not the power of Jesus plus the powers of magic and then we'll work it all out on our own. You surrender and submit to the name of Jesus or you do not belong to the kingdom of God. It's Jesus End of sentence. It's just Jesus. It's faith in the king from Israel who was promised all the way back in Genesis 3, whose righteous rule and reign will never end. To trust in Jesus, we have to leave behind me-centered magical thinking for unwavering, enduring, persevering faith in the Messiah, even in the face of trial, even when you're running out of your home city for safety because a rival power is coming and beating down the door. Suddenly, for these Samaritans, Simon lost his appeal. No longer do they pay attention to Simon, verses 10 and 11, but instead, go back to verse 6, they're paying attention to Philip. Believing the gospel means that there will be a shift in what you pay attention to. If you've trusted in Christ Your attention will be changed from what it was before. You can't say, well, I'm paying attention to the forces of darkness and manipulating powers and trying to get my way through manipulation, and now I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to keep living the same way. No, it shifts your attention. Believing the gospel requires a separation from those forces of darkness. Christianity is not blending light and dark. It's not yin and yang. It is leaving the dark behind. We don't add Jesus to what was already working for us. We go all in with Jesus and abandon everything else for the dung heap that it is. As Paul says, for the surpassing riches of knowing Christ and His resurrection. We go all in with Jesus, with his way, his will, his mission, his agenda, for his glory, no matter what it costs. Even if it's harder than monkeying around with our superstitions and our horoscopes. Who needs a horoscope when you're guided by the Holy Spirit of God? Why look to the stars when the maker of heaven and earth offers to be with you and inside you so that you can walk with Him according to His will, that He would walk with you step by step, that He would never leave you or forsake you or abandon you, and He'd be with you in the fire. He didn't promise to put the fire out right away. He said He'll be there with you in it. So these Samaritans who had been deluded by the demonic are now delivered through faith in Jesus. Lots of people, men and women, verse 12, which he's just saying everybody, they're baptized. By the way, we're Baptists here at North Roanoke Baptist Church. We're Baptists not because we like the name Baptist, not because we think it's a popular term. We are Baptists because the Bible tells us to be Baptists. You say, well, what's the the distinguishing factor of, of a Baptist? What does it mean to be a Baptist? It means we believe the Bible, We don't add anything on top of the Bible. We believe the Bible. Our statement of faith is derived from the Bible. Why do we practice believer's baptism? Because that's what is practiced in the Bible. People come to saving faith and are baptized. They don't baptize babies. They don't baptize people in hope that they'll one day have saving faith. They come to saving faith in Christ, and then they are baptized. It's what the Bible says. It symbolizes, baptism symbolizes our death to self. It symbolizes our death to fascination with supernatural sensationalism. It symbolizes our death to everything that is contrary and a rival power to Christ. And then our resurrection in Christ to a whole new way of living. It symbolizes our entry into a kingdom, not of this world, but breaking into this world. How? How? through the proclamation of the gospel of King Jesus. And in verse 13, we get a pleasant surprise, don't we? At least it seems to be a pleasant surprise. (laughs) Even Simon believed. It doesn't even just say, even Simon believed. It says, even Simon himself believed. We didn't need the himself in there to know that Simon believed. So why, why is Luke telling, even Simon himself? Like, Simon believed. The magician that everybody was following believed the gospel, or so it seemed. And church, here's my concern. I think pews and pew-like chairs all across the United States of America are filled with some people who are more like Simon than they are like the Samaritans who bowed their knee to King Jesus. The faith that Simon has is not saving faith. Simon's belief proves to us that not all belief is created equal. That there is a believing that is actually deceiving. And for the remainder of this sermon... I want to ask you to do what Paul asks us all to do, to examine yourselves to see that you're in the faith. If you know that you know that you know Jesus, this is not a threat to you, it's affirmation. But God forbid that we would have this opportunity to get an inside look of false faith and walk out of these doors unconverted, unregenerated, not saved. So we're going to take a look at a picture of somebody who has false faith in verses 13 through 24. And what we're going to see is is that those who strive to manipulate powers for pride and personal advantage don't have saving faith in Jesus. If your default setting is to remain in the realm of the magical and just trying to move powers around on your poker table to make everything come out okay for you, If you're you're just cropping some Bible verses for your life to make you feel good about what you're already doing, rather than humbling yourself to Jesus and His agenda, that's a warning sign. Although Simon believed, we've got to remember what James says. You believe that God is one you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Church, there is such a thing as belief that falls short of saving faith in Jesus, a belief that Paul calls self deception. In the second half of verse 13, we find two early warnings that things may not be right with Simon. First, Simon continued with Philip. This word continued with is the same word we've seen in Acts several times, which describes the devotion and the endurance of the church in ministry and prayer. And while it is good, to follow other believers as they follow Jesus. Our ultimate target isn't Pastor Daniel, Pastor Ethan, Pastor Hope, Kids Minister Lynn, or anyone else. Our ultimate target is to follow Jesus himself. And Simon is just hanging out with Philip, and he's amazed by Philip because God is working miracles through Philip. He's more interested in Philip's magical powers, as he thinks that they are, rather than in the Messiah. He sees these signs and wonders, and he sees a superior work, a superior power at work in Philip. And, and Simon is excited more about Philip than about the Messiah and more about the power than the person of Jesus Christ. He just wants to get the power to see what he can do with it to prop himself up. But he has little interest in knowing and belonging to Jesus. Soon we're going to find confirmation that Simon has false faith. False faith. But first, in verses 14 through 17, we see that news is carried back to the apostles in Jerusalem. Remember, the church had scattered. That's how the gospel got to Samaria. That's how Philip got, got, got down to Samaria. The church scattered because of persecution. And we learn now that the news of the reception of the gospel in Samaria is going back to the apostles that they see that Samaria, verse 14, do you see it? They had received the word of God. This word, had received, is interesting. It signifies a completed action with enduring results. In the Greek, it's in the perfect tense. In other words, anybody in here married? A few of y'all? When you get married, do do you have to go get married again the day after you get married to be married? No, you don't, right? It's a completed action with enduring results. That's the tense of this verb form. They had received the word, and, and they didn't have to wake up tomorrow and see if they might receive it again. They, it had just come into their lives. And the word here is it's the word of the gospel of the kingdom and of his king. It had become the very essence of their life. Lives. We shouldn't be surprised by that, right? Paul says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The apostles hear that the new covenant in the blood of Jesus has jumped over ethnic lines. No longer is it just for Jews, but Samaritans are believing as well. So they send Peter and John down to check it out. Now as we read this text, we've got to remember that acts as a, an historical account. It is not normal for the awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit to be delayed in the life of a, a believer. To believe on Christ is to get the Spirit of Christ. Why? Because the Spirit regenerates the heart, Titus 3, 5. It is the Spirit that makes us a new creation. So in this case, the awareness of the presence of the Spirit in the life of of these new believers has been delayed why in the world has it been delayed because the gospel has gone to a new people group and the the apostles are going to verify the work that is taking place in their heart as a genuine gospel work in other words they're going to come and verify that the gospel they believed is the same gospel that they preached and they're going to verify that the gospel isn't just for ethnic Jews it's also for Samaritans and and these groups who once were bitter enemies are now going to be brothers and sisters and members of the same household of God why because of their shared faith did you know that's true for you and me some of y'all like the cowboys and I can't stand that well I'll pray for you brother Some of y'all like West Virginia and UVA, and I can't stand them either. But you know what? We serve a Savior who trumps all that stuff. We can get together, we can have fun, we can even yell at each other a little bit. But when the game's over, and I'm at Anthony Ford's house, and he's looking at me with that smile that says, I'm really trying not to enjoy this too much but we just kicked y'all's tail. There's a a love there that is secured supernaturally by the blood of Christ that nothing else in this world can do. Peter and John go down and they realize these Samaritans have saving faith in the same Jesus that they walked with for 40 days after his resurrection. They realize that their belief is not a, a belief in a magical Jesus, who's something like a Santa Claus, handing out goodies if you've been good enough. He sees you when you're sleeping. He sees you when you're awake. No, no, no. This is King Jesus. This is crucified, risen, reigning, and ruling Jesus. And they realize they have believed in the Jesus that they know, the one that Stephen saw standing at the right hand of the Father. And they're like, they've got faith in that Jesus. And they lay their hands on these new believers, so that God through them would grant them the blessing of the awareness of the Spirit in their life. And here's what we can learn from this. Two things. First, the gift of the Holy Spirit only comes to people who believe in the Jesus proclaimed by the apostles. Did y'all know that there's a lot of phony Jesuses that are being preached out there? Those Jesuses don't save. There's only one Jesus who saves, and he is the reigning, ruling king. Secondly, We learned that the message of the gospel can be faithfully transmitted by people other than the apostles. Isn't this good news? The apostles were all in Jerusalem. It was just a scattered church and Philip who came and proclaimed the gospel. Who are these average Joes? Well they're just like you and me, just average Joes that have the word of God. We encounter Christ in the word of God and we go share the gospel in faith and people can be saved when we when we proclaim the gospel and the power of God with the spirit of God. People can still be saved today. The apostles are dead and gone we'll see them again when Christ returns but from this day to that day, guess whose job it is to preach the gospel and the power of the spirit. It's yours and mine and God will show up and people will still get the same Holy Spirit as we proclaim the same risen King Jesus that the apostles proclaimed more than 2,000 years ago. Y'all, that's good news. I'm going to have to sit down and say amen myself to that. Our job is both to defend and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because all other gospels and all other Jesuses are bogus and bankrupt and they leave people bound for an eternity separated from the presence of God in a place called hell. The other gospels that are out there do not save. And speaking of bogus gospels, in verse 18, Simon reemerges. Notice that Simon is consumed by what he can see with his physical eyes. In verse 13, the text tells us that he, he sees Philip's signs and great miracles. And now that the Spirit is given, he, he sees that as well. Now, how in the world did he see the Spirit given? Because the Spirit is spirit and he's unseen. Well, we're not told what happened, but maybe there was tongues or, or maybe there was a, a sound like a, like a wind like in chapter 2, or maybe tongues like we'll see again with the Gentiles in chapter 10. We don't know what visible manifestation of the Spirit's presence was there, but apparently something happened, and whatever Simon saw, he was willing to pay good money for the power, the authority to give the Spirit to other people. Verse 19, he says, give me this power. Peterson says this, this, this appeared to him, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit appeared to him to be a, a new type of magic. He sees the Spirit as a power that can be controlled and manipulated and even purchased by people. Church, we can no more by God's presence then we can get it through manipulation or mood lighting or marketing or nice smoke coming off the stage. Simon sees the Spirit as this like impersonal force rather than as the person of God with whom he can have fellowship. Did you know coming to Jesus is nothing like magic and a lot like a marriage? It's to have a relationship. And some of you this morning, like, I don't know where Jesus is in my life. Well, because like a lot of marriages, you're not communicating with your spouse anymore. And then you wonder what happened to your marriage. You, you know Christ. You just haven't communicated with him for a while. If you know Christ, the Spirit's on the inside. And he's just, he's there. He's like, here's my word. Here's the church. You could be consistent in your church. There's small groups where they're studying the Word of God. There's every opportunity to dive in, get plugged in, and to have fellowship and communion with God and to follow Him day by day. But when we fall out of that pattern, we go back to sort of this little magic wand Christianity. We're like, well, I'm having a rough time. Maybe I'll go to church today, so maybe I'll have a better week. It doesn't work like that. God wants to walk with you day by day and be your Savior and your Lord and your King. Magic seeks a craft that can rationally control God magic has no room for for gift it's just a gift of God you can't earn it you can't deserve it he just wants to give it to you and you receive it Simon had no category in his life for just grace you just receive it you don't have to manipulate it you don't have to buy it just open your heart and receive the gift of God through Jesus Christ crucified. No one, not even the apostles, could control or buy the Holy Spirit. You remember what Jesus says in John chapter 3 verse 8? The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Church, our only hope For life everlasting is that God would give it to us by giving us Himself. The Spirit is not another power among many powers to try and get on our side. He is not a force that we can manipulate. He is God Almighty. The Spirit conquers all other rival powers by giving us rest from our ceaseless strivings for new highs by placing us in Christ who is higher than all other things. He unites us with Jesus so that we can have new life and resolve and strength. Not to get whatever we want, but to do whatever God wills for the glory of Christ who is our Savior, our Master and our Lord. Simon Simon wants to reduce receiving God's Spirit to a ritual. And then become an authorized dispenser of Him. You know, a little ritual, a little chant, get get a little wet in the baptistry, take a little communion, go to church sometimes, put a little offering in the offering plate. If I just do X, then I'll get Y. Nope. It's got to be received as a gift. Simon sees the apostles not as messengers of the gospel, but as magicians who can be bought off. And Peter responds with a very sharp rebuke. Look at verse twenty. In the Greek, this is a this is a curse. I I can't give it an appropriate translation without some of you being angry at me. So, do you understand what I'm saying? To you know where with your money. You take your money to you know where. He curses Simon's money and he suggests that Simon is headed for destruction. In verse 21, Peter confirms for simon that he has no part he has no share in this apostleship he can't buy his way into being an apostle and and no share in this matter is literally the word word in other words you don't have any part in the gospel you don't have any part in the message of salvation you thought that you believed, but you haven't really believed at all you have no part in the salvation of god you're a false prophet true prophets will direct praise toward god marita says but false prophets receive praise as fuel for their own selfish egos. And to keep the accolades coming in, they will continually set people's hope in the wrong place. Church, I feel duty bound this morning to pause for a moment and, ri- and risk offending perhaps everyone in this room. If you were almost asleep, now you're paying attention. Magic is a diversionary and destructive tool that functions exclusively within the domain of darkness. Magic is a diversionary and destructive tool that functions exclusively within the domain of darkness. There is no such thing as good magic. Magic is repeatedly condemned in Scripture. Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Galatians 5.20, Paul says, sorcery is among the works of the flesh. Revelation 21.8, John says, sorcerers will have their portion in the lake of fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You say, Pastor, why, why are you saying that so soberly? Because I'm concerned. We live in a world that is enslaved to a magic-centered worldview. In Revelation 18.23, John says of Babylon, that that great evil city of the world, that all nations were deceived, how? By your sorcery. We don't even see how much magic is influencing our lives. Magic says, if I can be good enough, do enough, sacrifice enough, chant enough, pray enough, do enough good deeds, if I, if I can just do enough, then I can bend supernatural forces to my favor and successfully make the world work for me. That's what magic says. That is not Christianity. Christianity says there's a power over all powers and I need him. I need Him to fill me and to touch me and make me married to Christ as my Savior and to unite me to Him alone. How threatening is a magical worldview to souls? It can lead people like Simon to think they're saved and not be saved. It can lead people to think that they can make God do their bidding and then grow disillusioned when life when God doesn't. This sort of Thinking leads people to pray when they get in a jam, but it never leads them to pray because Jesus is their jam. This sort of thinking leads people to come to church when it suits their schedule, but never to say, Jesus sets my schedule. This sort of thinking leads people to turn the Christian faith into an endless quest for a magical experience like they're going to Disney World rather than to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Well, I went to worship today, and it wasn't that great. Newsflash, we weren't worshiping you. It, it It leads some to give financially only because they think they will gain financially. By the way, If you're wondering who to listen to and not to listen to on TV, here's the number one criteria. If they say, if you'll give to my ministry, then you're going to get a promotion and your life's going to be great and that car that you've always wanted is going to come, turn it off and never listen again. Which eliminates most of the people on TV. This magical worldview mixed with Christian faith leads us to think we're following a crucified and risen Savior when we're actually just following a Savior made in our own image who dispenses our own selfish desires. Tragically, this magic laced faith is not saving faith, and it is leading to a day when many will hear Jesus say, Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. That's Peter's message to Simon in verses 21 through 23. Simon had believed but he had believed wrongly. He had been baptized but it had been meaningless because what bapti- baptism symbolizes outwardly had not happened to him inwardly and as Peter says in verse 21 his heart was not right before God. Instead in verse 23 he is still what? In the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Peter takes him all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 29 verses verse 18 where Moses warns Israel about idolatry, about serving false gods while presuming they are, they are safe because they know something about God. And, and that's true of Simon, right? He knows a little bit about God and he thinks he's safe, but he's still lost. Why? Because he's in the gall of bitterness. He's poisoned by bitterness. Are you poisoned by bitterness this morning? What does that even mean? It means in Simon, there was still this churning dissatisfaction with life. Never good enough. Never satisfied. Never resting in the Savior, always needing something more, Jesus never being enough. The the magic that happened was great for a moment, then the letdown just left him bitter because he needed more. And then he would get another hit, but then it would go away. And he was bitter on the inside. Are you bitter today? Are you dissatisfied with life, looking for answers in every place other than in the humble, selfless submission that God requires that we offer to his son that underlying bitterness left him in a bondage to iniquity enslaved to sin and to self and to satanic supernatural forces and you say pastor that that sounds really heavy it is it is but i don't want you to miss the good news Jesus is strong enough to take you out of your sin and to take you out of the cycle of sensationalism that never really satisfies and to deliver you to true saving faith in Jesus. He can do it for us individually and he can do it for churches as well. You know what this means for churches? It means we don't have to come up with new stuff all the time to be relevant. Jesus is always relevant. The Word of God is always relevant. It means we don't have to skip over massive amounts of Scripture to keep the sermon series short to cater to short attention spans. Why do we have such short attention spans in our society? Because we're deluded by a magical worldview which says, I need the new thing, I need the new thing, I need the new thing while we're missing out on Christ the King who is the best thing. Well, I need a new sermon series, I need a new graphic, I need a new thing, I need some smoke, I need some lights, I need this. Have we died to self and to superficiality and to sensationalism, or are we just trying to manipulate powers for our own advantage and our own pleasure? Have we received life in Christ, or are we just making up our own life as we go? Don't, don't miss the hope of verse 22. Peter's not happy with Simon, and yet in verse 22, what does he say? Repent. If it's possible for you to leave this magic, manipulative, me-centered spirit behind and to cry out to God to change your wicked heart, if it's possible for you to do that, God will still save, He will still save heal he will still bless and yes he will give you the holy spirit and seal you until the day of redemption in christ jesus there's still hope what what a gift that peter is offering simon another chance to repent sadly in simon's case his answer seems quite a bit sarcastic recognizing that peter has access to a greater power and wanting to avoid a a bad outcome he he ignores his own responsibility to personally turn from his sin and to trust in Jesus. And he's like, well, why don't you say that prayer for me? We, we don't know how Simon's story ultimately ends. But we, we do know how it ends for everyone who will drop everything for the surpassing greatness of knowing and following King Jesus. It won't ever end. He'll never leave you nor forsake you and He'll be with you forever and always. We don't, we're not here to manipulate Jesus. We're here to magnify Him. We're here to worship and serve and adore Him and share Him. That's the message of the apostles Peter and John. That they brought to Simon and they brought to Samaria. And look at verse 25. They took it with them all the way back to Jerusalem. And the the gospel kept going forward. Jesus is king. He is over all other rival powers. That is the message that saved 2,000 years ago. And it is the message that saves today. So I want to ask you in closing this question. Are you seeking magical highs? Or do you have saving faith? In Jesus, the Messiah. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, I pray you do your work this morning. God, all week I've, I've sensed in my spirit that, that this message is for someone. Someone in particular, and, and I don't know who they are. I don't know if they're listening online. I don't know if they're over in the sanctuary. I don't know if they'll pull up this live stream three years from now and hear it. I don't know if they're in this room. But God, to the even if it's one that you've spoken to, you have a faith like Simon rather than saving faith in Christ. God, I pray today that you would break down any stronghold that you would get the bitterness of life out of them and deliver them to saving faith in christ god thank you for another opportunity that you're giving to all of us to hear the gospel another opportunity to repent to turn away from our sin and to trust in jesus spirit of god move in this place move for the glory of king jesus i ask in his name Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.